0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the State of Innovation podcast. Today on the podcast, we are very excited to welcome uh, Illinois State Representative Margaret Croak. Prior to being elected to represent Illinois' 12th legislative district, Representative Croak served as Deputy Chief of Staff for the Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. And in that position, Representative Croak managed a multitude of projects on behalf of the director, was a lead liaison to the government governor's office, and was Secretary. Uh, treasurer to the Broadband Advisory Council. Representative Kirk, it's great to have you on the ISTC State of Innovation podcast. And let's go ahead and jump in and get started. So I'm going to kind of open things up with the first situation, um, Representative croke that you were involved in that made you think, I really want to be able to change this law or change the way that the system is operating. Um, a program or a problem so glaring, it seemed like someone just had to fix it. Uh, when you first started considering a run for office, uh, kind of what was that issue that kind of stuck out to you?
1: Yeah, so they actually they're not totally in sync with one another. Um, the and thanks for having me on. By the way, I'm really excited to be here. Um, really love all the work you guys do and, and kind of what initiatives you are um, advocates for at the state level and, and for the industry as a whole. But um, back to the question, what was that glaring issue? Um, so I had a constituent reach out to me. It is like the most grassroots thing I've ever seen when it comes to legislation because this is not really how things totally get done in Springfield. They reached out to me. And he was calling because he's like, hey, you're a new mom. You just had a baby three months ago. This is right after I had won the primary election. And he was telling me about the fact his insurance did not cover any infertility treatments for him and his husband because they were gay. And the reason that was is because uh, insurance coverage required that you try to have um, a baby uh, through 12 months of unprotected sex mm. um, and you had to do that uh, to prove that you were infertile well uh, if you are two women if you are two men if you just are non-binary in general you know there are so many different ways people you know have relationships and, and love one another um, you don't qualify for that you're never you're it seems ridiculous so right. he reached out to me and I was like this very, it was very raw at the time, because I was just a new mom. And had someone said that because of who I love, I wouldn't have been able to have a child, it would have been really, really tough for me. And then the financial barriers that we're putting in front of someone, I mean, yes, we're not denying them fertility access. But when you give a price tag of $50,000 per, you know, IVF embryo transfer, I mean, that's, that's, definitely a barrier. Um, So that was the issue. And that was actually my first bill that I passed. Um, And I was really, really excited about that. Because now, in Illinois, if you have an insurance plan in Illinois, you can access fertility coverage if you are a um, in a, you know, LGBTQ relationship, or if you're a single woman, because I do want to know that being a woman and being, uh, or being a wife, being a mom are not synonymous. But Now, with the second part of that question, like, what did I think I was going to specialize in? It definitely wasn't IVF insurance coverage. Um, That just is like a product of being a state representative, which is very, very cool because you dive into topics that you're not totally familiar with and you become a subject matter expert on it. Mm -hmm. What I was interested in, though, really had to do with my background at the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Um, I am a huge advocate for figuring out how do we support emerging industries in the state of Illinois. How do we make Illinois a state that businesses are talking about as somewhere they want to locate? And that we've got this workforce, we've got um, we've got the people, we've got the infrastructure. How do we we've got the tax incentives? How do we promote those things? So that's where I thought I would focus, and I and I have for sure. Um, but again, kind of silly, the two things are not totally related. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Thank you for sharing that. I think it, you know, it really points to the fact that like nothing is linear, you know, um, and, and I think that's very much reflective in your journey. One of the things Austin and myself, you know, we, we do research on, on our guests. And when you zoom out, you kind of see it all like eventually come together but I'm sure when you were in the thick of the actual situation, you were kind of like, okay, I'm just here right now. I'm taking it all in, but you never really know like what's next, you know? Um, So with that, obviously we know that um, you were actually on J.B. Pritzker's transition team, um, which I'm sure it kind of gave you a really great idea of the future forward, you know, on how to strategize period, you know, being a part of such an initiative like that. Um, but as you were doing that, what types of initiatives were you working on and what eventually, you know, as you were doing that work propelled you to take on the next chapter, uh, for running for the house of reps?
1: Yeah. So that, so personnel, I did, I did transition. I did personnel. So I was looking at the entire state government and figuring out, okay, what offices exist, what Mm -hmm. departments exist, what are people doing? And I really took um, a shine to the Department of Commerce. I was very uh, interested in that department as I was kind of rifling through everything that state government does. And one of my mentors is Deputy Governor, or former Deputy Governor Dan Hines. He was head of um, Budget and Economy for the Governor for two years, yep. so he he really helped me get to where I wanted to go. I don't have any experience in um working in like a private corporation or a private company other than a brief stint out of college you know did an internship and then also right. worked at a law firm but what i find so interesting is that there is a it's like we don't speak the same language government and and business mm. we're operating in, in especially in illinois we we don't seem to be able to Kind of work in sync together.
2: Yeah,
1: and I'm a government person. I understand how government works. I've worked in the city, the state, the county. Um, I, I know how they think and what I have tried to do my best as is engage in conversations with people like you, with associations, stakeholders, private companies, right. and figure out what do you need from government and what do we need from you, and how can we start a better relationship between the two. And that's what has really been driving me. And I think that there was a gap for a very long time um, of a Democrat, a young Democrat, who is going to take on those initiatives and who is going to focus on like what the business community needs, what does the Mm -hmm. tech industry need and is willing to learn.
2: um,
1: Because it's been a learning curve as someone who doesn't come from that side of things, but right, right. it's been very, very interesting. So that's when I was in the transition team and doing personnel, that's kind of how this whole, um, how whole thing started for me.
3: Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, just as you were mentioning that, you know, being, being young, being a woman in these spaces, how did that kind of, you know, what, what types of hurdles did you kind of overcome to kind of get to that point of it then running for the House of Reps as well?
1: So I've, I'm used to being even today, which I find so strange and, you know, 2022, I'm used to being the only woman in the room, um, especially I know we're going to dive into this when we talk about crypto, like yeah. crypto oh, has yeah. taken on this whole Bro, y <laughs> uh, you know, midtown uniform. If anyone knows that Instagram account where everyone's wearing Patagonia vests, <laughs> yeah, um, yep. it's taken on this whole persona. And I, so I tend to be the only woman, um, mm. and don't even get me started on the fact that there is rarely a woman of color in the room. Right. Um, I mean, that's like the unicorn in the room, which is something that you know bothers me to my core. Um, but that's been something that's as a young woman, I wouldn't say that my, you know, my gender is so much of an issue. It's been my youth that has been an issue for people that they don't see me and think that I could have any type of experience or be any type of subject matter expert in anything. I mean, the other day someone was like, oh my God, you're a state rep. I thought you were 12 years old. Wow. Okay. Well, it, 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 it's not, it was not meant to be derogatory, it was not yeah. meant to be even rude. It's just that my youth seems to be the biggest barrier that I have and it isn't until I engage in this conversation with someone. So that takes like, you know, 10-15 minutes for someone to take me seriously. Right. Um, that's, that's been the, the toughest thing. And then I was, you know, the youngest person running in my primary, I was the only woman running in my primary. So I felt that I needed to almost prove myself even more yeah, in imagine. these like forums, yeah, in these groups and these rooms. Um, so that it, it's been a it's been a learning experience, but I think that the more I kind of create a name for myself, the easier it's going to be, <laughs>
3: right? That rapport
0: starts to be built, yeah, yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I think is most poignant there is is the focus on learning and that's something in our podcast that we are really interested in. And so I kind of wanted to change gears a little bit and kind of dive into that bread and butter, the technology-based economic development. And one of those emerging industries that is talked about often in Illinois and talked about across the nation is uh, cryptocurrency and and blockchain. And I kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to explain the difference between those, those two terms there. We know that blockchain is a little bit more immersed in a couple of different areas beyond just cryptocurrency itself. So I wanted to give you a chance to dive into those industries and exactly how uh, the legislature is adapting to uh, provide a uh, business environment conducive towards promoting growth in those industries.
1: Yeah, so blockchain and crypto are not the same thing. They are linked, obviously. You can't have cryptocurrency without blockchain technology, but blockchain technology is kind of the foundation. Um, It allows... Uh, for crypto to exist. And what a blockchain is, it's just a decentralized distributed ledger. Um, so you could have a lot more, there are a lot more implications for blockchain. Um, we're looking at blockchain when it comes to the supply chain, because blockchain can have a bunch of smart contracts on it, which means like I can get from A to Z without having to talk with anyone as long as, you know. The various systems, the decentralized system is working together. Um, I can kind of like go into a long history with, or like a, a, all the things I think blockchain could result in, but I don't really want to, you know, bore everyone in these hypotheticals. Um, but I'll just, you know, crypto is uh, is what we've done is is probably the most uh, shiny thing that we've done with with the blockchain technology. Um, And, you know, what we're looking at from the state level is now how do we allow for blockchain companies and technology to continue to grow or I wanna almost say explore the implications of crypto without it being a, a consumer risk. I mean, there's risk, but like, To the point where uh, you have, I I think of Venmo in some ways, where someone is storing their cryptocurrency on a platform and all of a sudden that platform goes defunct. It's actually, and then they lose all their cryptocurrency. It's almost like a, you know, depression era bank situation. Like, how do we make sure that that doesn't happen? I can't really uh, protect you against risk. That's like telling someone who's investing in the stock market, like, I can't, you know, you are in some ways gambling. It's, you know, you're gambling with information that you know, but I can't like totally get rid of your, your risk. Um, and I think your question was about like, what's the state doing? Is you know okay so let's let's look at some smart regulation. How do we not completely put this industry under so much red tape that they can't come out? Um, I've looked at various ways we can do some banking charters, specifically a special purpose trust company. It mimics what Wyoming has done, but I think ours is obviously better. Uh, when I initially introduced the legislation, the Treasury had not issued guidance as it pertains to existing banks that were chartered with either, you know, nationally or at the state. Now banks can hold cryptocurrency. There's still a little bit of gray, but they can be a depository for crypto because they have FDIC insurance. They also have know your customer requirements and um, all of the other things that go into a banking institution. Um, so now the bill specifically deals with these Companies that would come to Illinois that would be just special purpose trust companies. They would just be the de- depositories. They obviously would not have FDIC insurance, so they would have to have you know a full liquid backing of any type of crypto that they were holding. Um, but you know, we think at the state level because it's also an Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation uh, initiative, we think this is a great way we could help the cryptocurrency industry, but also have this massive amount of, honestly, like regulation, that's a good thing. Those special purpose trust companies would have know your customer requirements, they would have all the same regulations that any state charter bank has. So the only thing different is that they're dealing in crypto instead of fiat currency. And, and the other thing we've looked at, you know, briefly was, whether or not um, the state could accept uh, payments, the Department of Revenue could accept payments in crypto. They would never be a holder of cryptocurrency, but like similar to a credit card, you pay with a credit card, and then you know the the state of Illinois does not hold on to the. They're not a creditor. They don't. They they get the the payment from the credit card company. It would be the very very similar with a cryptocurrency third party vendor who would then um, any payment made would immediately be transferred into fiat currency.
0: Interesting. I'm interested in the in the a little bit of the sausage making process there. I guess some of the some of the stakeholders that you just talked about. We've got banking entities that have been around for mm-hmm. generations, and decades that are. Kind of the status quo, and then we have new arrivals in that industry, in that marketplace, and these uh, third-party vendors. Who was the the first mover? Kind of who who approached uh, this the legislature about uh, the possibility of legislation in this area, and uh, was it kind of a mutual mutually agreed upon thing? What did that look like?
1: So the fir- so both bills didn't have any opposition. Um, the first bill, as it pertained to like the special purpose trust company, that came from the IDFPR, because we have an amazing director of banking, Chase Rarewinkle, who is so brilliant. I mean, gosh, we are lucky at the state level to have someone who is that smart. And he's thinking ahead, because he wants to be prepared as a state to be able to deal with this company and or these companies, this industry coming to Illinois. So, you know, he's thinking ahead. He came to me, we talked about the legislation, and then because it is making a, a crypto depository on the same level as a um, standard financial institution or you know chart illinois state chartered bank the banking industry is all for it they were like great yeah. same rule we love it there's no you know you're not going to have all these random companies coming to illinois or starting up in illinois that are competing with the banks they're all going to be on the same same, they have all the same rules, the same playing field. Um, and also at the time, banks were really into it because they would allow for their members to um, to be crypto depositories, which was something that a lot of their members were looking at. Um, also, at the, on the flip side, like the Woodstock Institute was a huge supporter of, of this bill. Um, I do, I do want to mention that we weren't talking about like retail banking, which is like what we do it would be business banking, but they were on board too because it was a regulation bill um, and companies were on board because the one thing that companies want is an, they want to understand the regulations. They don't care about having the regulations. Most of the time they're supportive of regulation. It's just that they want to know what they have to do, what the rules are, and they don't want you changing those rules on them after they've made a significant investment. Um, And I think that's completely fair. So everyone was on board with it. As it pertains to like the paying the department of revenue and crypto, it's kind of more novel. Uh, It would just allow the Department of Revenue to eventually make that, like, accept those type of payments. Um, So we were just thinking ahead. What I see as a benefit there is that you wouldn't have to convert your, if you have a massive amount of, you know, funding in crypto and you didn't have liquid cash on you and you had to pay the Department of Revenue, you wouldn't have to pay for the conversion between your crypto into fiat cash and then paying fiat cash to the Department of Revenue, which I think as we see more individuals who are not unbanked or underbanked, having cryptocurrency, or we see people who are coming from other countries in which their currency is more volatile than um, uh, crypto, which is crazy to think, uh, we won't have to pay for those those fees. And I think that's very important, so.
3: Yeah, I, it was you know really interesting to see all the use cases, um, especially within the context of like banking and, and the institutions that specifically like funnel money and resources in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. The other side of this conversation that's really interesting is, you know, we see cryptocurrency in the sense if we're looking at it like it's just money, it can be used essentially for so many things. Um, Blockchain technology as well. Um, What has the state been also using that money for? Like cryptocurrency, in what context has it also been using it? Um, one, and in the conversation of how it can become more common, how do you feel like those steps, what what steps do you feel like we need to take to make sure cryptocurrency becomes more of a common conversation? Because, you know, there's there's one side like state representation and then there's the other side of like even the people that will use cryptocurrency and how they view, you know, its volatility and all these things and, and kind of gaining that trust as well. I wonder how that yeah. campaign has been going.
1: So, you know, the state does not kind of deal in any type of crypto, nor would I want them to, because it is so volatile. And I feel like as uh, government, we need to be very risk averse, mm-hmm. also in our investments too, as it pertains to like pensions and, and what we're doing to get some return on investment. I I personally don't want to touch crypto right now. Um <laughs> And, and I'm like an individual investor in crypto and that's fine. I know what risk I'm taking on, but I feel very uncomfortable as like if if I'm making those investments with taxpayer money. And I think, right. you know, that's, that, that's, I think real, that's,
2: yeah. fair, that's fair to me. <laughs>
1: right but I don't want that conversation to stop. As you just said, like, I think that government needs to continually be having a conversation about cryptocurrency because otherwise we're going to end up in the same situation over and over that we're in right now, where regulation is falling so behind the industry and the technology that you're going to be, everything's going to be retroactive. So you're going to have obviously companies that are established, you're going to have a very vibrant cryptocurrency industry, and we're going to be coming in mostly on the federal level and changing the rule book on you. And what we should have been doing because cryptocurrency has been around for over a decade is being way more proactive about what we were going to do around this technology. So that's something that continually frustrates me is that the conversation needs to always be going on. Yeah. And it needs to go on before we have something like the crypto crash that we recently had. Like th- this conversation should not, it, it, the the reactionary nature of it just, again, it's just incredibly disappointing to me. Yeah. So that conversation needs to continue, and I think that we need to plan as a state, as a country, for crypto to be around for a while, and make sure that there are rules and regulations for the industry in all its different forms. Um, that that I, I think that that's the only only way to go because ignoring it is like yeah, <laughs> we're going to be ing- ignoring the worst thing something. that could happen. Yeah, exactly. But you know. That's what, that's what we've been doing until now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's w- with crypto too, because of the nature of it and because we're talking about a currency and because we're talking about a lot of federally regulated institutions, there's going to be a lot done at the federal level. And I think there's also going to be a lot done that doesn't require legislation.
3: One of the other things, you know, that's interesting about this conversation, you mentioned, you know, sp- supporting those that are underbanked. Um, and equity across the board is something that obviously is important to talk about here. ISTC is a big you know, advocate for equity across the state, hence it's in our name, right? Um, so when it comes to like the use case for cryptocurrency and communicating that to like rural communities as well, what has that conversation looked like?
1: So I'll tell you when it comes to like underbanked and unbanked, the reason I got so interested in crypto was a use case study where they were talking about, I want to say in Venezuela that there was, that crypto at the time was more stable than the government fiat currency. And what, and then also this idea that as you had people leaving a country, if they're, um, that their their wealth is not like on their body wealth Mm -hmm. is like no longer on your body wealth is in a cloud or wealth is not a cloud
2: yes i I can't
1: use that i can't i will say for listeners if you're not totally if you don't understand crypto (laughs) i'm going to say the cloud but what it really is it's on a you know a blockchain distributed ledger um mutable ledger (laughs) it's on there um but it follows you. It can follow the person it follows. It does not have to be physically on you. It doesn't have to be in a bank in that country where, you know, it where we're not like in America where you have all these rules and regulations to make sure that the bank can't just say, "Oh, sorry, we lost all your money." Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> you know that's that's very different in other right. countries. So right. that's what I found really interesting is this idea of someone being able to move their physical location, but then also having their wealth stored in a decentralized immutable ledger that was not held by any individual government, mm-hmm. um, could not be seized by any individual government. Um, and I also find it really interesting about um people who have maybe recently immigrated to america being able to send money overseas without any type of delay Um, you know it's crazy to me that like bank transfers still take you know potentially three business days in some cases without any fees Um, because we're talking about small amounts of money too so every time you take away any type any portion of that It has a real impact on these individuals so those are the things i was thinking about when i was thinking about crypto and some of the use cases and usually those individuals too who potentially have recently immigrated into the united states they don't have a bank account or they haven't totally established what their their financial infrastructure in our country is going to look like
0: yeah I love that you mentioned remittance payments because the usage rates around remittance payments are just astronomically high in a lot of areas. And cryptocurrency is going to be, hopefully in the future, one of the ways that we can kind of reduce that burden on on migrant workers that are working here and in other countries. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of something that we wanted to dive into about use cases. I was curious, knowing that there is some of these benefits that could come down down the line and that could be useful for a wide population of people, um, and a diverse population of people. You've been having a lot of these conversations behind the scenes, and we'd like to be kind of a fly on the wall in those conversations. So would you say that there is still people in the state legislature that have some apprehensions about blockchain, and do you notice those apprehensions kind of being... Uh, you know, cut back on in, in more recent years as this has become a little bit more mainstream?
1: Yeah. So I will obviously, because I'm a crazy person, I'm going to tell you, like, I'm going to say they don't have apprehensions about blockchain. They have apprehensions about cryptocurrency. Um, and blockchain, you know, is something that they're willing to learn. But it is a concept for some of my colleagues that is just, a little bit it's it's not that i say too complex it's not that like they're not smart intellectual individuals they just don't really have an interest in learning about this and when they do do a google search or when they do say okay what what's the deal with this there's a lot of bad there's a lot of bad media associated with crypto. I mean, you do a Google search and like people, it used to be everyone referring to Silk Road to me and me having to explain that. But, you know, it's been the um, colonial pipeline situation. Um, I, I think that almost every week, every other week, there's a story about some sort of case in which uh, funds, crypto funds were seized. Um, so, there is a lot of apprehension there. What I try to lead with, with the conversations with my colleagues, even if they're not willing to totally learn the technology or its implications or anything like that, is that I'm promoting regulation bills. Those regulation bills are supported by industry and they're supported by the regulators, the people who will actually do you know, the, the um, audits. but it's a regulation bill. And that makes people feel better because right now we're operating in a state system in which you know there isn't any, um, and honestly, until recently at the federal level, there wasn't any, and there still is a lot of gray there. So I lead with regulation. It makes people feel better. It just happens that everyone wants regulation. They want smart regulation, um, and they want regulation done by someone who actually is trying to understand the needs and the wants of a very interesting, growing, vibrant industry. And we could have that industry in Illinois.
3: But yeah, it is so important just to, to kind of soothe some of those concerns Um, because yeah, Illinois is a very, um, especially when you think like downstate, I know, I went to my undergrad in a very like bustling city, like DC and then came back for a graduate degree in, Southern, you know, Illinois and at normal in at ISU and you see the pace difference, you know, and like working in Chicago, working downstate. And I think both of those sides are necessary because there's a an essence of like, I know you guys, I know how you all do things up there, but down here we take things a bit slower and um, there's like a way to kind of meet the needs of both sides. So it's really cool to see that you are able to kind of like work all aspects of this, especially within the context of like regulation, um, because- Well, we
1: should talk with our, you know, our agricultural producers and our farmers about how blockchain could be impactful to um, uh, the, obviously the supply chain, but ag tech in general. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think that's something too, just, a, you know, a small tangent. What I love about Illinois is that, yes, you think of Illinois and obviously you think of Chicago, but there's so much more than Chicago and there are so many more industries outside of Chicago that are like those focal points, like um, for ISU, you know, you do have a lot of ads. Um, You've got a lot of manufacturing and this technology could be so impactful. So when I'm, I'm a Chicago legislator, I like have a very, very small, like geographically small, part of the state that I represent and I need to make sure that I'm doing a good enough job of explaining the implications not only for like the crypto bros that I've got living in my district but like you know everyone in the entire state could benefit from this piece of legislation or this industry or this regulation or this tech and that's like kind of my job that I have to do when I'm selling a piece of legislation to my um, fellow colleagues.
0: I wanted to jump into, and we mentioned this a little bit briefly, but there is those concerns that the average consumer might have. And so I, I wanted to run through maybe one or two of those that you think that you hear from constituents most often. And how do you think it is that the state can help kind of soothe some of those concerns that the average consumer may have? Is it uh, I know one of the largest ones that we hear often is the volatility of the industry itself and mm-hmm. the volatility of investing in crypto. Kind of run us through some of those concerns and and maybe uh, offer up some potential uh, solutions that are coming out of the legislature over here in the next few years or even this coming legislative session.
1: Yeah, so I, I can't control the volatility of cryptocurrency um just and and I don't know if anyone wants me to because when it's high it's high and when it's low it's low but like when it's high man great investment what I try to tell people what I'm concerned about is I compare cryptocurrency more to an asset than actually like a currency itself so I'm like hey let me let me talk to you about like the volatility okay what I care about is let's say you have a You have a bitcoin you have an let's let's make bitcoin an actual tangible thing i've got a bitcoin and i want you to be able to go put that bitcoin in a deposit box same way you would put a bar of gold in a deposit box and i want to make sure that that bitcoin or that you know we'll say bar of gold is safe that you can go to that Banking institution at any point in time, you could be able to withdraw and take away your bar of gold or your Bitcoin. Like that's what I want to make sure it happens. What I don't want to happen is that you put that that bar of gold, that Bitcoin, into the safe deposit box and it gets taken away from you and yanked away, or that some, or even the bank said like, oh, we'll keep it safe. We we make sure it's safe. It's it's insured, and they're not insured, mm-hmm. or they are able to just collapse. Um, What I can't control, though, is while that Bitcoin is sitting in its safe deposit box, how much that Bitcoin is going to be worth the same way I can't control how much gold is worth, because you know what can happen with gold, you might, someone might be mining one day, and all of a sudden, they find a lot of gold, well, that changes the, that changes how much your gold is worth. Right, right. and Bitcoin can should be looked at the same. So that's one thing. I try to I try to narrate that the best I can. The second thing is the environmental impact that cryptocurrency mm-hmm. has, yeah. um, which is it's a lot. So there are two different types of, or I mean, there's three, but I'll just talk about two really quickly. There are two types of mining. There's um, proof of proof of work and proof of stake. Proof of work requires way more energy. And proof of stake. Proof of work is like a bunch of computers have to figure out a, a problem. And um, in the process of figuring out that problem, they use all that, they use a massive amount of energy. Bitcoin is a proof of work uh, cryptocurrency. Ethereum is, is not, is a, Ethereum is a proof of stake and it requires, I think, one fourth of the energy. Still a lot of energy though so i can't control in like china a bunch of mining companies deciding to locate next to a nuclear power like a power plant because right. i have no regulation over that but what i can make sure of is that if we have any mining companies and that's what we call them you know mining companies that do mine for for this crypto if they come to illinois that there is a renewable energy requirement that they have to fit and they have to meet So Shanghai Systems is one that's coming to Illinois, I believe, and I think that they're going to be 100% renewable. I could be wrong on there, so I do want to preface that, but it's a conversation we're having. We're talking about tax incentives, very similar to the data center tax incentive that we have at the state level around mining. But I would be much more aggressive about the renewable energy component Mm -hmm. in a crypto mining um, center because... They even take more energy than a data center for the most part. So that's that's kind of like the next frontier, in my opinion, is making sure that we are being thoughtful about the the energy use that that cryptocurrency requires.
0: Perfect. That makes me curious. The the idea that a cryptocurrency um, mining company, as we would call them, is that consideration for where they are going to go, it seems almost negligible off, off on my end of like, where would they locate? It doesn't seem to matter where, where they would be mining from, but can you run us through why it does in fact matter that they locate in certain States over others? And why is it that Illinois is becoming a future potential hub for uh, these mining companies?
1: Yeah. So there are reasons that you would want to, let's start with like why you would want to locate in the United States, maybe other than a different country. I mean, it's mostly just based stability. So uh, I gave that example of the mining companies that located in China. Well, China recently came out with environmental requirements for those mining companies. And I think they basically all had to like stop operation. Um, in the United States, like, you know, it, it doesn't really, we're not at, we don't have an authoritative government. Like it's, it's, it's different. Um, that, we could definitely shut down a company, but there are a lot of steps that and process and we, we try to make things work.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so stability is just one of those reasons that you would locate in the United States. Why you would wanna locate in Illinois is that our energy prices are, um, we have a much more diverse energy grid than a lot of other states. Um, I, you think of like Texas when they completely shut down because they have like one energy source that they typically utilize. We have a much more diverse grid. Um, and then our energy prices are, are you know, relatively uh, cheaper than the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why you would locate here.
3: And, you know, just to close out here, this has been an amazing uh, conversation. When you think about the future of Illinois, all things considered crypto blockchain, um, Mm -hmm. I guess in like a a two sentence or more, when you think about this future, You know, what are you telling that that person who's asking, you know, maybe at the next legislative hearing or what are you telling that person who maybe gets a a few minutes of your time, what that future looks like?
1: I think when it comes to anything around the tech industry, we have to be one. I think that industry has to be patient a little bit with legislators but also has to be when i'm talking with someone in in the industry and saying like you know we want to make sure illinois has the best regulatory scheme or legislation to help you thrive but i need you to explain this to my colleagues in like the most simplistic terms because you live in this every single day we do not so like tell me what the benefit is and tell me also the benefit for maybe not just my community but for illinois as a whole um, so that's what I need from the people who are hoping to, you know, kind of get something from the state, whether it be a tax incentive or a positive regulatory um, environment. What I want to tell industry is that we have, a, for the, we have a pretty young legislature. We have a legislature that is very invested in workforce in Illinois. Um, And I think we have like the best workforce. We have the most educated workforce. We have some of the best universities in the country for this type of tech too. We're going to have Discovery Partners Institute coming from the University of Illinois that's going to be located in Chicago. We have places and incubators like 1871, M-Hub. We have the workforce. Yeah. And don't you want to come to a state that has, that type of capital, that human capital. Yeah. That's like the biggest selling point, I think, for 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 me when it comes to why you want to come to Illinois. And you can't just get that in any other state.
3: Yeah. And that's, I, I would say that's a perfect selling point. I definitely say that's a perfect selling point. Um, so with that, you know, uh, Margaret, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. I wish we could go longer, but I definitely feel like we, we jammed a lot into this conversation. And um, you know for those listening this is definitely a topic on the rise and and this is now a time more than ever to to tap in and continue to think strategically about the ways that we can really expand the conversation and um, hopefully be you know get cryptocurrency more uh implemented throughout our ecosystem and our economy so we're really grateful for the work that you do uh representative croke and Uh, We look forward to continuing to see the ways you impact
2: our state.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me.
2: Of course.